Well, sometimes you need to learn how to quit when you're ahead. For example, there was a sports gambler just last week, about uh, eight days ago, who wasn't content with over a million dollars that he had, so he decided to get just a little bit more. The Jacksonville Jaguars were trailing the Los Angeles Chargers 27 to nothing in the first half of a playoff game eight days ago. Jaguars quarterback Trevor Lawrence had already thrown four interceptions in the first half, and it looked like the Jags were well on their way to a crushing defeat. At that moment, this unnamed gambler who didn't know when to quit placed a bet online. He wagered $1.4 million that the Chargers would hold on to win that game. Now, at that point in the game, ESPN, I think, predicted that the Chargers had a 99.9% chance of winning the game. They're up 27 to nothing. Trevor Lawrence has thrown four interceptions. And so this man wagers $1.4 million with a possible return of $11,000. Easy money, unless it doesn't pan out in the end. Now, if you know anything about the NFL, anything about that game, this gambler watched in horror as the Jaguars screamed back to a 31-30 victory on a last-second field goal. Instead of walking away with, uh, with $1.41 million, this gambler walked away with nothing. Sometimes you need to learn to quit when you're ahead. By now, most of you have heard the news that our three elder nominees, Sam, Jason, and Sterling, were overwhelmingly affirmed by you last Sunday night in our members' meeting. One of the concerns leading up to that vote was the relative youth of some of these elder nominees. But it was clear that even if there were some concerns, the congregation, by and large, did not see their youth as a reason not to affirm them as elders. Now, some of you might say to me this morning, Hobson, you need to learn how to quit when you're ahead. But I still think it's fitting today, as we officially install these men as elders and lay hands on them in accordance to the passage we just read, that we hear from God's Word on how rookie elders should relate to reluctant sheep. So if your Bible's not still open, open it back up again to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, we're taking a break from Matthew's gospel today. We'll be back in it, Lord willing, next week with a great group of preachers over the next few weeks. Some of my favorite preachers in the world will be here to preach God's Word to you as we keep walking through Matthew's Gospel. But today, 1 Timothy 4, and just a little bit of a word about 1 Timothy. It's written by Paul from prison in the early A.D. 60s, written to Timothy, who's a young pastor in Ephesus. The purpose of the letter is given to us really clearly in chapter 3. So hold your finger in chapter 4 and look with me at chapter 3. Paul tells us why he wrote this letter. 
Look at verse 14. He says, I'm writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. So here's the purpose of 1 Timothy. How do you behave in church? How do you behave in church? Now, little kids, that's bigger than being quiet and coloring as the sermon happens, right? How do you behave in church? What does it mean to behave rightly in church? A big part of what that means is how elders and members relate to each other. Behaving rightly, honoring the Lord in the gathering of God's people, in order to do that well, elders or shepherds and members or sheep need to learn how to relate rightly to each other. This truth has unique and specific application for both members and elders. I'm going to speak to all of our members, challenge you. Those of you that aren't members, challenge you. I want to challenge our elders, especially our newest elders. But I want to break up our passage this morning into two main challenges. Number one, there's a challenge to reluctant sheep. And then number two, a challenge to rookie shepherds. First of all, a challenge to reluctant sheep. Maybe, maybe that heading offends you a bit. Maybe you say, well, I, I'm not reluctant at all. I, I'm eager and excited to follow the men that God has given us as elders. Praise God. I think what the Scriptures have to say still will apply to you this morning. In fact, if you're not reluctant and you're eager Maybe God would use you, eager saint, to encourage someone that might be a little more reluctant. Maybe you're in this room this morning and you say, you know what, I don't even really care. I mean, this doesn't really matter to me one way or the other. I would challenge you to see what God's Word has to say to you about that apathy regarding those who lead you. But the truth is, some of us in this room even if we wouldn't say it out loud, are a bit reluctant. Maybe it has nothing to do with the specific men that are elders here at PBC. Maybe it does. Maybe it's just reluctance towards leadership in general. Maybe you do have concerns about an elder's age or lack of experience. Maybe it's general reluctance towards authority. Maybe it's some sort of painful church experience in your past where you have seen authority misused or even abused. If you're reluctant for these or for some other reason, I just want to encourage you just to start off, I think a little bit of reluctance is okay. The Bible takes spiritual authority very seriously. The Bible takes it seriously. This is not something we should take lightly. Who leads us, who shepherds our churches really matters. 
We ought not to have kind of a laissez-faire attitude to who shepherds or who is a pastor or an elder in our church. So a little bit of hesitation can honor the Lord and I think keep us grounded in God's Word. The truth is that spiritual authority is sometimes abused with serious and negative impact. Think of church leaders behaving badly like Mark Driscoll or Bill Hybels or James McDonald or Johnny Hunt or maybe something you've seen in your own life. This, by the way, is not a recent problem. Church leaders misusing their authority has been an issue even back into the pages of the New Testament. So in 3 John, chapter, or 3 John verse 9 uh, and 10, John the Apostle writes, he says, I've written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, doesn't acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he's doing, talking wicked nonsense against us, and not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who wants to and puts them out of the church. And here's what this guy Diotrephes is doing. He's a leader of a church, and he's forbidding the members from helping some traveling missionaries, and if you help them, I'm excommunicating you, kicking you out of the church. That's spiritually abusive, a misuse of authority. God gives shepherds, elders, pastors authority to be stewarded gently, wisely, faithfully to the Scriptures. But even in the pages of the New Testament, it was sometimes misused. So it's no wonder if some in this room might be reluctant to fully trust and fully follow your elders, whether they're young or not. And yet, God's Word does not throw the baby out with the bathwater. The Scriptures don't say because some leaders misuse their authority, you don't have to obey authority at all. Instead, I want to show you in the text, in 1 Timothy, two requirements for reluctant sheep. Two requirements. Number one, don't despise their youth. Don't despise their youth. Look at verse 12, 1 Timothy chapter 4. Let no one despise you for your youth. If the Spirit commands Timothy not to let anybody despise his youth, then the implication is that Paul would also command the members, don't despise Timothy's youth. He's writing to a pastor named Timothy. We don't know how old he is. We don't know his age. The Bible doesn't tell us. He's probably in his 30s. We're not, we don't know for sure. But the, the point isn't his age. The temptation to regard an elder based on age is an arbitrary standard. These instructions could apply to anyone older than any of our elders. So if you're in this room and you're older than our oldest elder, and I'm not going to tell you who that is, and I'm not going to publicly guess from the stage, you just think, whichever one you think is the oldest, I'll give you a hint, it's not me. Whichever one you think is the oldest, if you're older than that guy, you could despise his youth. 
You can say, well, that young whippersnapper, he doesn't know, he doesn't know what he's talking. Well, no, that, no, Paul's saying don't do that. Don't despise their youth. I think there's two ways you can despise an elder's youth. One is a sin of commission. You say to that elder, how can you possibly teach me anything on that subject? You're a baby. You don't know what you're talking about. You've not lived through life like me, forgetting that elders, faithful elders, teach not from an abundance of life experience, but from an abundance of time in God's Word. Or you could commit this sin by saying something like this, son, I was a member of this church before you were born, despising his youth. You can also despise it as a sin of omission. You're omitting something. So, you, you might never say anything to a young elder or a younger elder. You, you just will never go to him. You might be perfectly polite. You might be charitable. You might be kind. You might even be his cheerleader in conversations with other people. But you say to yourself, I'm never bringing my problems to that guy because how could he help me? He doesn't know. I just want to take a moment and encourage you as a church. Most of you have received my leadership with joy and thanksgiving. You have. And I came to you as a 31-year-old, is that right? 31-year-old, 32, something like that, when I came here. And there was some hesitation, I'm sure. Some of you were like, I don't know what this spiky-haired guy's going to do. And some of you still, don't, you still don't know, keeping you on your toes. But you've received it with joy. Not, I can't remember a single time where I've heard a member at PBC say, he's too young. He can't tell me anything. Now, you might have thought a dozen times or more, but you haven't said it. You've received younger than some of you leadership with joy. Praise God for that. That's the type of church that Paul tells Timothy to help cultivate, a church that doesn't despise leadership simply because it's young. But for those of you in this room that might be struggling with this idea, struggling to think of a younger man as a spiritual leader, here's a question I would challenge you to ask yourself. Do you trust that Jesus, your chief shepherd, knows how to appoint under-shepherds to take care of you until He returns. Do you trust that Jesus knows how to do that? This does not mean we give our elders a free pass to do or say whatever they want, but it does mean that we trust Jesus. He's the chief shepherd. He, by His Spirit, is the one that makes men to be elders. Do we trust that He can care for His church. That's the first requirement for reluctant sheep. Whether you're reluctant or not, don't despise the youth of your leaders. Number two, don't despise their youth. Number two, do follow their lead. Look at verse 12 again. 
Don't let anyone despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Set an example. Now, if Paul tells Timothy, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, be an example to your church, to your members, the implication there, reading between the lines, is that Paul would say to the members, follow his example, right? Now, that's implicit here in 1 Timothy 4, but it's explicit elsewhere. So, for example, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7. You can jot it down. It's on the screen. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the Word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and what? Imitate their faith. Imitate their faith. What's the command? So look at your, your leaders. He's referring to spiritual leaders. Right? You don't imitate the faith of a politician or something like that. You could, I suppose, if it was a Christian politician following Jesus. But he's referring to spiritual leaders. And he says, these are those that spoke the Word of God to you. They take God's Word and they teach you. Consider their way of life. Look at how they live and imitate their faith. So, the Scriptures do command those of us in a church, if you're a member of PBC or if you're a member of another church where you're a member, you are commanded by the Scriptures to look at your leaders, watch their lives, and follow their example. This is one reason why, as a church, we have to be so careful only to install as elders those men whose lives meet the qualifications given to us in 1 Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. If you're going to tell the church, follow the lives of your elders, follow their example, then they better be men worth following, right? Better be men worth following. But the command here for you is to follow your leaders. Now, let's just apply this to some different groups of people here. If you're in this room and you're not a member of PBC. We're so glad that you're here. Welcome. I, honestly, I'm so grateful to see folks almost every single week uh, that uh, maybe seeing you for the first time, not in, a part of the PBC membership. We're so grateful that you're here. Um, if you're visiting with us from another church, apply these things to your relationship with your pastors, your leaders at your church. If you're here and you're not a member of any church, you're not a part of a church officially, I'm going to ask you, how are you going to obey Hebrews 13, verse 17? How are you going to do that? It says to remember your leaders. Well, how do you know which leaders are yours? How do you know which leaders to follow? And he says, those who teach you the Word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith. Well, you could say, well, I listen to John Piper on my podcast or John MacArthur or whomever. You might have some preachers that you like to listen to online or watch on YouTube. That's fine. Praise God for faithful preachers on the internet that you can access. But how are you going to consider the outcome of their way of life? You can't see it. 
You see, God intends for you, Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, God intends for you to be involved in a flesh and blood church with real life relationships and real life leaders where you can see their lives and you can follow their example. So I think, I think that it's right to say every Christian should either be a member of a church or moving towards membership in a church. You might be transitioning from another city. That's fine, but be moving towards membership so that you can obey what Jesus requires of you. If you're considering PBC to be a church home, would you talk to me or one of our pastors about that so we can help you see what that process looks like for you? If you're in this room and you're a member, you're a member here at PBC, if you're going to follow the lead of your shepherds, you need to spend time with them. You need to spend time with them. How are you going to follow an example that you never see? How are you going to do that? How are you going to follow an example that you never see? Now, seeing your pastors, your elders on a Sunday morning when you go around and shake hands and that sort of thing, that's a nice thing and that's a helpful thing, but you really don't get to see their lives, do you? This is one reason why we, we, we did change our fellowship group format a little bit this year to put an elder in every fellowship group and put every member in a fellowship group so that every member should, if you're able to be involved, should have regular access to consider the life of your pastors, to see us, warts and all, so that you can follow. Following their lead, by the way, does not mean that these men are perfect. Look at verse 15. He says to Timothy, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your what? Your progress. Progress implies that you haven't made it yet. And by the way, none of our elders have arrived all of us are works in progress. All of us have areas of our lives that the, the Spirit is still chiseling away at. And, and we want to live in such a way that you actually see us grow. How can you do that if you're never around your leaders? If you don't know your leaders? Now, leaders, we need to make sure that we're doing a good job being around the sheep, but we're talking to the sheep right now. Do you know your pastors? Do you know him enough to follow his example? Maybe you're wondering, well, how do I know which parts I should imitate and which parts I shouldn't? Hold them to the standard of God's Word. Hold them to the standard of God's Word. 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1 says, Paul says, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Follow me like I'm following Jesus. We put it this way in our church covenant. We commit to pray for our leaders, submit to them as they submit to Christ, and hold them accountable as they lead us in obedience to Christ. Hold them accountable 
and, and follow them as they follow Jesus. Maybe you're wondering, well, what do I do if one of my pastors isn't following Jesus? Can I just tell you, God's Word is so beautiful and so complete that all those questions are answered. That question is answered for us in this book. If you um, go just a little bit further in 1 Timothy, the chapter 5, look with me at verse 19. What do you do when a leader isn't following Jesus? 1 Timothy 5, 19, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, leaders are often criticized. That's just part of being a leader. Any leader is, going, is opening themselves up for criticism. If you're a manager at work, you get criticized. If you're a, a politician, you get criticized. If you're in any sort of leadership, you get criticized. That's true in the church too. So Paul is saying, don't receive a formal charge against an elder. They might get criticized a lot for doing this or that. Don't receive a formal charge against them based on every minor criticism. Here's a, here's a way to do it. If there's two or three witnesses that are saying, this brother is proud or this guy is caught in sin, you go and you receive that charge. Verse 20, as for those who persist in sin, he's referring to elders, a pastor who persists in sin, who doesn't confess when he's confronted, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. When an elder... When any elder is caught in sin, the sin must be dealt with. If the elder repents, he should be forgiven. But if he persists, then he should be rebuked in the presence of all. That's frightening stuff. But God's Word gives us a path. In the same letter where Paul tells members how to deal with sinning elders, he encourages members to follow their elders. So how do I know which one to do? You follow the Scriptures. Test these men by the Scriptures. Your ultimate authority is not an elder. It's not the board of elders. It's not the church constitution or the church covenant. It is the Word of God. So we go to the Scriptures. Well, that's a challenge to reluctant sheep. Let me give a challenge now to rookie shepherds. This is, all these things are true for all of our elders. So elders, I'd encourage all of you to listen up to what God says to us, but especially to our newest elders. And for those of you that aren't elders, this is not nap time. Would you... Pray for our elders as you hear what God requires of them? Would you look for ways to encourage them as you hear what God requires them of them? If you see areas where they might be veering off the path, would you prepare to talk with them as you hear what God requires of them? So what does God require? Four requirements to the shepherds. Number one, teach. Teach. Look at verse 11. Command and teach these things. You say, what things, Paul? Well, it's what he's already said in this letter. 
It's the Word of God. So, so again, where is our authority, elders, pastors? It is the Scriptures. We have no authority other than this. Let me just remind you, elders, you have the same authority as a babysitter. And sometimes that's what being an elder feels like. It feels like being a babysitter. Just kidding. Love you all. Y'all are great. I get to leave when this is done, and you guys can just think about it. No. <laughs> y'all are great. Here's how being an elder is like a babysitter. Here's what I mean. When we leave our children with a babysitter, we have five rambunctious kiddos, we do not give the babysitter ultimate and unquestioned authority for eternity, okay? We give them delegated authority for a specific period of time. So, you have authority over the kids for two hours. We go out to dinner or whatever, right? That's the type of authority that shepherds, that elders have. You do not have authority to say to the sheep elders, do it because I said so. God forbid. God forbid. You do not have the authority to say, this is just the way I want it, and you must follow. You have limited authority delegated authority. You have the Scripture's authority. Where God's Word speaks, you speak with authority. Where God's Word is silent, you might speak, but you speak timidly, cautiously. So, we teach exercising the authority of God's Word. How do we do this? Well, Paul talks about a few things. Look at verse 13. <coughs> He says, until I come, devote yourself to three things, the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, and to teaching. Let's take each of those one at a time. Public reading of Scripture. Pastors, elders should be involved in the public reading of Scripture. This is one reason why I wanted to tweak our worship service order a little bit this year to have our elders reading God's Word to you. I mean, it's a requirement. Sometimes we find as we read our Bibles, we come across things and realize, oh, we weren't even doing that thing, and we should have been doing that. Sorry, Lord, let's fix it, right? Public reading of Scripture. Elders, let me just challenge you. When you stand up here to read God's Word before the preacher comes to preach, that is not a minor thing. That's not an insignificant thing. You are declaring the Word of God. This is Spirit-breathed truth, and you stand here to speak that. There's nothing quite like that. This Word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So when you come to read God's Word, it's a big deal. This is to devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. He also says exhortation. An exhortation <clears throat> is a challenge to people to apply the truth that they have been taught. So, I'll preach a sermon, and I'll draw, you know, draw a pretty wide net for application, but how do you apply that specifically? How does that look? 
stuck in your life with your circumstances and your job and your marriage and your finances and your kids. That's exhortation. Elders, you are called to exhort God's people to apply the word that is taught. This can happen in a large scale when you pray. There's application in your prayer. This can happen in a medium scale in your fellowship group. On a smaller scale when you meet with individual members and encourage them and offer them counsel from God's word. Exhortation and teaching. This refers to the entire teaching ministry of the church. The entire teaching ministry of the church is meant to be guarded and protected and cared for and overseen by the elders. This doesn't mean that only elders can teach, but it means that elders are responsible to know what's going on in the entire teaching ministry of the church. One thing I'm super encouraged about about our elders here at PBC is many of them are involved, if not all of them, are involved in Sunday school, teaching ministry of the church. So, for example, Mike Lindell and Bubba Jones and Sterling Tollison all help teach in adult Sunday school. If you want to hear one of these men teach, one way to do that is to be involved in one of their Sunday school classes. And, and for the parents of little kiddos, did you know that Mike Clawson and Jason Wells, two of our elders, are teaching little kids every week in Sunday school? What an incredible gift to have your children taught by one of their pastors. What a beautiful thing. I'm telling you, I love that my kids are hearing God's Word, not only from dad and mom at home, but from their pastors in the life of the church. Or Sam Garcia teaching our students. What a gift to know that student ministry at PBC is is not merely just sort of a fun and games sort of thing, but a place where they're hearing God's Word taught by a pastor in the church. What a gift. Teaching ministry. Now, elders, when you hear this, your natural response should be something like this. Who, me? How can I teach? How can I do this? In C.S. Lewis's book, Prince Caspian, the young Prince Caspian meets Aslan, who represents Christ, and Aslan says, do you feel yourself sufficient to take up the kingship of Narnia? And Caspian replies, I I don't think so, sir. I'm only a kid. And Aslan responds, good. If you had felt yourself sufficient, it would have been a proof that you were not. Elders? When you feel insufficient, that is a gift of grace. Who among us is sufficient for these things? A second thing, a second requirement for shepherds, we teach. Number two, we model. We model. I don't mean modeling like on a runway. None of us are quite good looking enough for that. But verse 12, let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Let me say a word to the young elders for a moment. If a member despises your youth, do not pull out the elder card. Don't be like, wait a second, let me show you something. See that? Pastor, that's me. 
You're supposed to listen to me and not despise my youth. Now, as I was saying, don't do that. Bad idea. Bad idea, right? That sort of response is rooted in pride and lacks a gentleness that a shepherd needs. If you go down to chapter 5, verse 1, Paul says to Timothy, don't rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father and younger men as brothers. Rebuking the membership, elders sometimes must do that, but we do it sparingly and gently. Philip Ryken, in his commentary on 1 Timothy, says, how can a young minister gain the respect of those older than him? Not by demanding respect or by throwing his weight around, but only by setting a godly example. The way to stop people from looking down on you is to make sure they look up to you. And the way to do that is to lead by example. So what sort of example do you need to set, elders? Set an example in how you talk. Speech. Verse 12. Set them an example in speech. Remember everything we talked about last Sunday about our words? Elders, you should be leading the way and applying how God's people should talk. You should set an example in speech. Be an example of when to speak up. Be an example of when not to speak up. Be an example of speaking the truth in love. Members, when you hear an elder speak in an un, a way that's unbefitting of an elder, you go to them and you gently challenge them and say, is that the way that God commands you to speak? And elders, when that happens and someone asks you that question, receive that as a gift of grace and confess. We set an example in how we talk. Number two, in how we act. Verse 12 again, set them an example in speech and in conduct. Set, the, set an example to the membership elders in how you act. To do this, you need to spend time with the sheep so they see how you act. They need to see more than how you behave when you're well manicured on Sunday morning. They need to see how you respond to your wife. They need to see how you respond to your children. They need to see how you behave when you're tired. They need to see how you interact with your neighbors. They need to hear you say you're sorry when you get something wrong. Set an example for the flock in your conduct and how you act, in how you love. Verse 12 in speech, in conduct, in love. Elders, set an example on how to treat women. Set an example on how to treat our sisters. Set an example on how to care for the sick and the elderly. Set an example on how to pursue the wandering. Set an example on how to welcome a guest. Set an example on how to respond to critics. Let them see your love and follow you as you love. Set an example in what you believe. Verse 12, conduct, love, faith. Elders, your theology should be exemplary. 
not perfect. You don't have to know everything. You can say, I don't know the answer to that question. That's fine. But your theology should be rooted and deep and clear and true. You should read God's Word daily. Be in the Scriptures. Listen, you cannot feed the sheep if you yourself have not first been fed. You should be in God's Word. You should read a lot. You should read, read, read. Why? Because there is an endless attack on the truthfulness of God's Word by our enemy. And we need to know how to shepherd God's people through those attacks. You need to be prepared to carefully and faithfully explain God's Word and what it teaches on crucial issues affecting the lives of our membership here. Set an example in what you believe. Set an example in your purity. It's the final one in verse 12, and love, faith, purity. Elders, we must be above reproach in all of our dealings with the opposite sex. Above reproach. Too many pastors, too many pastors have fallen because of this area, in this area. And yet at the same time, as we strive to be above reproach and how we deal with our sisters, we must not hold women at arm's length either. We must be above reproach and yet approachable. This is a tightrope to walk men. And yet, we must walk it in the footsteps of our dear, sweet Jesus, who honored women, was approachable and yet above reproach. You must teach, you must model, you must grow. Verses 14 and 15, do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. In just a moment, we're going to Conclude this sermon and lay hands and pray over our newest elders. This is something that's deeply biblical. Paul continues in verse 15. He says, practice these things, immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Elders, new elders especially, don't neglect the gift that you're receiving today. The Spirit has made you an overseer to help shepherd this flock here. The other elders have recognized you. The church has affirmed you. Take that gift seriously and something that must be cultivated. You must grow. Others must see your progress. We had a sweet moment in one of our elders' meetings a few weeks ago as we were talking about some of the concerns that we had heard about our nominees and especially about their youth and inexperience. And our brother Mike Clausen said to our new elders, you're going to make some mistakes, guys, but we're going to be with you to help you weather those storms. We're going to do this together, and we're going to grow together. And finally, elders, we must guard. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul Paul tells Timothy to guard two things. Guard your life, guard your doctrine. That order is important. 
You cannot successfully guard Christian doctrine if you're not faithfully living the Christian life. So we begin by watching our lives. Where is our holiness? Where is our walk with Jesus? Where is our relationship with our spouse, with our children? Guard your life. Know that the enemy wants to attack you. He wants you to fall. Guard it. And then guard your doctrine. Guard the teaching of God's Word. Because that's the life of the church. What does Paul mean when he says, you'll save both yourself and your hearers? Well, he's certainly not saying that pastors save anybody. We know this, right? Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, By grace you have been saved through what? Through faith, not of yourselves. It's the gift of God so that no one can boast, Right? We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Every single person in this room, apart from Jesus, is bound to, for an eternity, separated from God in a place called hell. That's what you and I deserve because of our sin. But Jesus came to this earth, lived a sinless life, died a sinner's death, rose from the dead to save you if you repent and believe. We're not saved by our pastors. By the way, if you're in this room today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you can be saved today, not by doing anything, but simply by trusting in what Jesus has done. What does Paul mean when he says, we'll save ourselves and our hearers? Well, the word, might, the word save also means to preserve. Sometimes it means to rescue, but sometimes it means to preserve. We actually still use the word save that way right? If you're, if you're drowning in the ocean and you cry out, save me, you say, I need to be rescued. But if you've got uh, some food on your plate at the restaurant and you ask for a doggy bag so you can save it for later, what are you you're saying? You're, I'm preserving this, right? Same word, two different meanings. Same in the Greek, the original language. This word here means to preserve. So Paul is saying the shepherd and the sheep are preserved, were protected, were guarded through the faithfulness of the shepherd. What a heavy responsibility, man. But isn't it good news ultimately that it does not fall on the faithfulness of these shepherds, but on the faithfulness of the shepherd? Jesus Christ, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame and now is seated at the right hand of God, our perfect shepherd, who will one day return to make all things new. I'm going to pray for us. And as I pray, I'm going to ask our elders, all of them, to come to the front and we're going to have some time together to install these men into this sacred office as elder, shepherd, pastor here at PBC. So while I pray, men, if you'll come to the front. Father, I thank you.